church is going to gather over here to my left and your right. And I know they're going to have a great... Lauren, are you in charge again today? I don't know what we're going to do. No, I thank you, Lauren. We appreciate you so much. Love y'all. There's Mr. Carter and some other... Mr. Mays coming, some others, and uh, they're going to have a great time uh, together today. They're coming down. Go ahead and take your copy of God's Word, if you would, and turn with me to the 7th chapter of Revelation, uh, verse 1, where we'll pick up together today. Revelation chapter 7, beginning with verse 1. I do want to remind you of a couple of things. And, and Bill, I didn't tell you this, but you know, I, I married a Texas girl. Do you know that? Yeah, there's hope for guys like me. She's, she's from North Texas, from Texoma. Uh, I call it the north side of the moon. But anyhow, she uh, she's took me out of there a couple of times, in a little town near Wichita Falls. And uh, you know where that is, or Wichita Falls Talls, whatever you call it. <laughs> And so uh, God took care of me. Actually, he plucked her up out of North Texas and brought her to the land of milk and honey, sweet home Alabama here, and uh, gave us a one. has given us a wonderful life together, hasn't he? I, I, I don't just love her. I like her. Amen? I don't think she likes me sometimes, but she has to love me to stay with me, I tell you. And all the ministry journeys we've been on, I'm so thankful. And do keep in mind, too, you'll notice the banner on your way out. We'll get some more this week. Our theme this year is open hearts, open heavens. We believe if our hearts are open, as God opens the heavens among his people, and he pours out his blessing, and he pours out his love, grace, and mercy. If our hearts are open, we receive that. And as we receive these things from God, we realize as children of God, we're not depositories. We're not warehouses. We are distributorships. And we keep our hands open. God pours into our hand. And as he pours into our hand, it freely goes as he uses, and he continually places that in open hands. Amen? With open hearts when he opens the heavens. So do remember that as you uh, uh, go through this year. That's our theme for 23, and we're just excited about 23. A lot of things we'll be talking about in the coming days and some things some doors that God is opening. Some he's got cracked, some are wide open, but we're going to be ready as God uses us and to be mobilized here, there, and everywhere. Amen? Revelation chapter 7, if you found your place physically able, stand with me if you would. In honor and reverence to the reading of the Word of God, you'll also notice the text will be on the screen behind me, should you need that to follow. We're going to look at the first eight verses of Revelation chapter 7. And here's what the Word of God says. <clears throat> it says, After these things... I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God, and he cried with a loud voice to the angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, Till we have sealed the servants of our gods on their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. Of the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. Tribe of Reuben, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Gad, 12,000 were sealed. The tribe of Asher, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Nephtala, 
the 12,000 were sealed. The tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 were sealed. The tribe of Simeon, 12,000 were sealed. The tribe of Levi, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 were sealed. The tribe of Joseph, 12,000 were sealed. And of the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000 were sealed. Pray with me. Father, in the name of Jesus, God, I pray you'd help me today to articulate what you've taught me, to speak your word to your people and to those who you desire to become your people and your children. God, help me today to make known the unsearchable riches of the word of God. And God, help me to do so in a way that we all leave here with understanding, that we all leave here helped, and we all leave here closer to you than we were when we walked in the building. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you. You may be seated. When we look into the Word as we've been traveling through this wonderful prophetic book of the New Testament, we concluded chapter 6 last week as the sixth seal of judgment was opened on the earth. The first six seals that we studied in chapter 6 will bring a time of massive destruction and unimaginable death to the world. The judgments of the first five seals are very severe, but the disasters of the sixth seal will far surpass the devastation of the first five. The unbelieving world will refuse to acknowledge that the worldwide disasters of the first five are judgment from God. But at the opening of the sixth seal, the events that take place on the earth will compel everyone to acknowledge that these judgments are judgments from God. Chapter 7 describes an interesting period, a period of intermission between the opening of the 6th and the 7th seal. I love what John Phillips said about it. He said, The stillness that will descend on human affairs... The world's politicians no doubt will pride themselves that their diplomacy and their astuteness have brought about this period of tranquility. The sudden peace, however, will be none of man's doing but God's. It is in reality a lull between the storms. When I began to try to come up with a title for this sermon, I almost titled it In the Eye of the Storm. We know what hurricanes are, and when the eye passes by, there is a strange period of quiet. The sun can even come out, and it can appear as the storm has passed, but very soon the backside of the eye wall will descend upon the island or the mainland, and it will continue the devastation of the first part of the storm. I read a transcript of Adrian Rogers' sermon. He preached quite a bit on this chapter, and I read several of his transcripts, and one I read was a sermon that he preached on this text called Signed, Sealed, and Delivered. Now, I know all of you just busted out your best Stevie Wonder, didn't you? Signed, sealed, delivered. I'm yours. All right, y'all, y'all in it, right? All right, just seeing if you with me. But no, not Stevie Wonder's signed, sealed, and delivered, but when I 
read this sermon, I noticed the date of the sermon really caught my attention because he preached this sermon on the very day that I gave my heart to Jesus and Jesus Christ cleansed me of my sin and made me his child. Amen? Signed, sealed, delivered. I thought about that. You know, on that day, I got signed up as a child of God. I got sealed up by the Holy Spirit. And someday I'll be delivered up into glory to spend eternity with Jesus Christ. And thank God for the wonderful gift of eternal salvation. Old country preacher taught me about it years ago. He said, son, when it comes to salvation, he said, God thought it, Jesus bought it, the Holy Ghost wrought it, the devil fought it, but thank God I caught it. Amen? So God is good. But before the opening of the seventh seal of judgment, God has a little bit of business to attend to here on the earth that I think really begs of our attention and pulls us in that we don't need to miss as he moves forward in explaining the time of great tribulation that will come upon this world. Notice with me, if you will, in verses 1, 2, and 3, the suppression of the storm. See, as the world experiences a break in the wrath of God, it's important to note the activity that is taking place in the opening uh, verses of chapter 7. In the suppression of the storm, it teaches us a lot about God's sovereignty, that he is still exercising sovereign control over this world. Verse 1 reminds us that he is absolutely sovereign. He has complete control of time and space. He speaks to us about four angels at the four corners of the earth. Angels are often associated with judgment when we read about them in the word of God. But here they are seen standing at the four corners of the earth holding the four winds of the earth. You see, these angels are standing in the four primary directions. All right, all you Boy Scouts, listen up. You know what a compass is. The four primary directions are north, south, east, and west. Do not ever try to explain to your wife, your daughter, how to get somewhere using archaic words like north, south, east, and west. You must tell them you got to go down to the coals, and when you see the Hobby Lobby and the TJ Maxx, make a right, swing by the Longhorn Steakhouse, and then get you a Dunkin' Donut iced coffee, and then you'll be there, right? you got to use landmarks. You can't use silly things like directional signs, right? But these angels are still seen at the four corners of the earth holding back the winds of judgment. When the Bible uses the word holding, it is literally translated holding back in the original Greek, and it suggests that the winds of judgment are struggling to break free from their restraint and they are withholding the next series of judgments that will come upon the world. Keep in mind, this is just leading into the seventh seal. You still have seven trumpets and seven vials or bowls of judgment left to be poured out on the world. The four angels are agents of righteous judgment, and they are agents of righteous judgment and destruction. They are ready, and they are prepared to act upon the Lord's behalf. So there's the sovereign control in the storm. But notice with me a second thing, if you will. Notice in verses 2 and 3, there is a specific cry. The Bible says that there was another angel 
not of the four, but another. This word another means one in numerical sequence, another of the same kind. It's a fifth angel of the same kind as the first four. The angel's message is not one of destruction and death, but his message is one of mercy and grace. Is anybody here today thankful for God's mercy? Is anybody here today thankful for God's grace? I'm here to tell you today we ought to be because without it, none of us would even be in this building today. Amen? See, this angel's message, like I said, he's speaking of mercy and grace, and he rises from the east with something very interesting. He rises with the seal of the living God. Now, that word seal is very interesting to us because it refers to the signet ring of a king. If you remember in Old Testament times, that ring was used to stamp into uh, soft things or maybe with some type of ink, I don't know whatever they used, but it was used as a seal that it would be used to stamp upon documents that affirm the authenticity and also guaranteed the security of the document. Seals are used to show ownership and protection. It's kind of like when you get a birth certificate. Now, it has, a, it has to have a certain seal on it for you to be able to get other important papers. Well, this seal is even more important. You see, this seal isn't just any seal. It's the seal of the living God. That's of the utmost importance. We just sing about there's none higher, none greater than the name of Jesus, right? See, the Bible identifies our God as the living God, and it separates him from every earthly king and any pagan idol that was worshipped by unbelievers. Thank God he is not only separate, he is supreme. Amen? See, the seal of the living God that was placed upon the servants of God on their foreheads, it also provides for them the future from the future wrath that is soon to follow. They will be sealed and secure during a time of great tribulation. Oh, notice with me a second thing, if you will, in verse four. Notice the sealing of the survivors. We we've talked about their um, suppression in the storm, but I want you to notice the sealing of the survivors. See, the still living God will be placed upon a specific group for a specific purpose during the tribulation. Verse 4 tells us about their number. Walk with, it, with me through it, if you will. The Bible says there are 144,000. That's a whole bunch of folks, isn't it? Now, it's not a whole bunch of folks if you're in a city, metro city like New York, 19 million. Uh, I've been in metropolitan Mexico City before, 25 million. I mean, you know, 144,000 is a small number compared to that, but compared to you and I, that's a whole bunch of folks, amen? 144,000 of the tribes of the children of Israel, 12,000 as we read together from each of the 12 tribes. And let's talk about this very important, the significance of this number. You see, the ceiling of the 144,000 is very significant concerning the promises of God in Scripture. Not just this promise, but many promises. You can go all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, where you read how God promised to make Abram, later Abraham, a great nation. And not only would he be the father of a great nation, 
but through him all the families of the earth would be blessed. That's a pretty big promise, isn't it? That's one of those big, hairy, gigantic, audacious promises, isn't it? This is some kind of promise that we say there's no way. Well, that's what God said, and I want to tell you, I've lived long enough, and I'm not very smart, but I've lived long enough to believe this. Just take God at what he said, and you'll be all right. Notice right here. You say, there's no way that's possible. Uh, preacher, I've done my, my homework. I've done my historical studies. I'm ahead of you, preacher. In 70 A.D., when Jerusalem was destroyed, all the tribal records were either destroyed or lost. There's no way that that promise could be true. Now, oh, with me now. Remember something. Marty, you with me? All right, you, you, you checking Facebook? How many followers have we got? No, <laughs> no you, you got your Bible up. All right, good. Just checking. All right. Now, stay with me now. Look here. God always keeps his promises. No matter how big, outlandish, or seemingly impossible to you and I they may be, he always keeps his promises. Yes, tribal records were destroyed or lost during the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. Today, even though Israelis or Israelites may not know their tribal name, guess who still does? Uh, listen to me. He keeps a record of everything, even if it's destroyed. Listen, you can write that nasty email and you can think you've done something. You might have went back and deleted it, but let me tell you something. God still knows about it. You can leave that nasty voicemail if you want to, and you can think you've deleted it and it's all gone. God still knows about it. You can write those nasty letters. You can say those nasty things. But I'm here to tell you today, God still knows everything. That ought to strike a little fear in us, don't it? The only way he promises to forget is if we repent. Woo! Hey, look here. And when you repent and you cast it before Jesus, and you're cleansed of your sin by the blood of the Lamb. He says in Hebrews 10, 17, their sins and iniquities I will remember no more. They are cast into the sea of forgetfulness. But if you hold on to it, and you refuse to repent, you will be held accountable for your sin. Wow. That went over like a, oh, amen. Oh, lead balloon preaching today, right? But stay with me. They may not know what tribe they're in. God does. He will keep a promise that he made in the very first book of the Bible. He will raise up those who will be used for the purpose of proclaiming the gospel during the days of great tribulation. Well, there's a lot of concern and identity issues about them, but I'm going to try to help you. We know the number. Let's talk about their name. In verses 5 through 8, we see that listing. Twelve tribes of Israel, 144,000 Jews selected and sealed by God to proclaim the gospel during the Great Tribulation who will do so without the fear of seeing death. You say, Brian, I don't understand. Why a number like 144,000? You may say, I'm a round numbers guy. How about 100,000? How about 150,000? How about 200,000? Does it really matter? Oh, yes, it matters. Because here's what we know about God. 
He uses numbers symbolically in Scripture. We know that five is the number of grace. Amen. I remember hearing that years ago. Old preacher told me, he said, David got five smooth stones. He didn't need but one, but he needed grace. Amen. I don't know how much theologically correct that is, but it sounds good, right? <laughs> Just all kinds of things like that. But symbolically in Scripture, four is the number of the earth. Three is a divine number, and when you multiply four times three, what do you get? All you scholars from Cleveland County High School, what do we get? Ten, right? <laughs> no, four times three is twelve. Twelve is the number of heaven and earth. It also is the number of the rule of God on earth. It's the reason why in your Old Testament you will read of 12 Old Testament patriarchs. It's why in your New Testament you will read of the 12 apostles. 12 is the number of governmental rule on earth by God. And not only is 12 very significant, but there's another number significant, and that is the number 10. What does the number 10 teach us? It's much like the number 7 is the number of completeness. How many, how many fingers you got? Or how many you supposed to have? <laughs> Someone said, I got nine and a half. I had the table saw, but uh, no. You got ten fingers, ten toes. Ten times ten is a thousand. So look what God has done. He has taken his completeness and he has intensified it here on earth. See, with a number of 144,000, we find a very symbolic message from God to the world. Here's what he's saying. He says, I'm talking about a complete number. I'm also talking about my governmental authority here on earth. I'm talking about the intensification of my rule on earth. See, this is a rule of God in its fullness and power. God is going to move in a great way on planet earth during the time of great tribulation. And he is going to take these 144,000 sealed servants and he is going to use them for a great purpose. See, not only did God select the 144,000, he's also going to seal them. Now, this is not on your screen, but you might want to write this in the margin too. See, he's going to place a mark of ownership on them. And his mark will guarantee three things for them. It will guarantee, first of all, their protection. We do a lot of things for protection in this world, don't we? We set alarms at our house before we go to bed at night. We pack heat. <laughs> concealed carry or whatever in the state of Alabama, thank God you can do that now, amen I told this lady one time in the store she was a little worried, she was like a little touchy customer I said don't ma'am, worry ma'am, I got him and she's like, oh really? I said ma'am, I'm the kind of guy you want to carry a gun because I'm not going to hurt you but I guarantee y'all will keep somebody from hurting you I said we'll probably not hurt them but it would be fun to watch them dance around a little bit you know you know, I got. She, I said, I got eight clips. We'll have fun with them. But <laughs> watch them dance, right? <laughs> we do a lot of things for protection. We put a seatbelt on. I used to never wear a seatbelt. Anybody else like me used to never wear a seatbelt. Be honest before God. He knows, okay? Those of you who didn't used to wear a seatbelt, do you wear one now? Let me tell you why. I got my daughter's Camry with her one day. Let me tell you something about them Toyota people. They ain't playing about that seatbelt. You got a Toyota? Anybody with me? When that thing starts going, I mean, it will, it, is, it will shut the car off just about. You know, in our nice little Honda, it goes, ding. You might want to put your seatbelt on, you know. And my Chevy truck does the same thing. But I, and my girls made me, Daddy, you need to put your seatbelt on. Usually parents are the ones in it. I was bad about it. Because when I was growing up, 
Here was the seatbelt, okay? Little boys stood up on the seat of the car in their shoes, and they started to slow down. They did this. <laughs> Anybody else get caught by the arm? Or what about when it came up kind of quick and they weren't expecting and you got a Ric Flair chop to the chest? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, it's <laughs> trying to keep you safe, boy. I'm like, I've got four broke ribs here, man. No. We do a lot of things for protection. I see this stuff now, you know, with kids, they ride bikes with helmets and knee pads and, you know, and, and, and the slides now. Is anybody, we grew up in the days where swing sets had metal slides. They were hot as Hades in the summer, but you went and slid down them because it was all the fun you had. Anyway, y'all remember we used to do the swing set and nobody would ever tie them down and we wanted to see who could go all the way over and we'd flip that thing up. Yeah. I mean, we used to be really warrior people till all the sissies took over, right? <laughs> I was evil Knievel, son, and I got the x-rays to prove it. <laughs> now, we do a lot of things for protection. He'll also do this for them. He will do it also to mark them as his possession. It's not just for protection, but they will have the mark, the seal of God on them as his and not only that, he will mark them for preservation because he will keep them safe during the days of tribulation. See, the mark will ensure their ability to remain unharmed by the Antichrist and his forces during great tribulation. And when I think about being sealed, this just really stirs my heart. It reminds me of what God has done for us in the day of grace. I'm reminded of the comforting words of the Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians where he said in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, In him you also trusted after you had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise who is the guarantee of our inheritance unto the redemption of our purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Oh, he didn't stop there. In chapter 4, verse 30, he said to the church, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God in whom you are sealed to the day of redemption. Thank God for the sealing of the Holy Spirit of God in the day of grace. It reminds me when I was a young preacher, I used to listen to these old boys sing called Charles Johnson and the Revival. Y'all know them? Y'all don't know Charles? YouTube it, boys. He'd sing that song, I Found a Lily in My Valley, and I'd just weep. But I tell you one that really brought comfort and stirred my heart is he sung a song called Sealed to the Day of Redemption. In the chorus, it says, I know I've been sealed to the day of redemption. Soon Jesus will come and he'll take me away and forever I'll live in that beautiful mansion. I'm gonna live with the saints in glory someday. Listen to me, church. You are not kept sealed by your own goodness. If the devil could take you out of the hand of God, don't you think he would? He's not a nice little old Uncle Joe who lives upstairs in the apartment with a little kitchenette and a half bath. No, I want you to know he intensely hates your soul. If he could remove you from the hand of God, he would. But I want you to know he can't. Thank God that as his children, we have been sealed by the Holy Spirit of God to never be lost again. To God be the glory. Amen. Well, let's walk back a little bit, if we will, to the 144,000. How and where will God mark them? That's interesting. Some ask, will it be a spiritual mark on the heart? 
or will it be a literal visible mark? Well, as we fast forward into Revelation 14, 1, we see that the Bible says that the Father's name was written on their foreheads. See, regardless of whether it's a literal visible mark or an invisible spiritual mark on the heart, really, it's not that important. And we can't be 100% sure. It appears that it will be visible, but it may not. It doesn't matter. See, the truth is that we need to carry with us is that they won't just be sealed with any seal. They'll be sealed with the name of the Father. Oh, this is good stuff. You need to hold tight right here. Y'all got your seatbelt unbuckled? You can unbuckle it and worship Jesus here today. Okay, let's do it. Think about it for a moment. In Revelation 13, the Bible reveals to us that the Antichrist will place the mark of the beast on the foreheads of those, or on the hand, those who submit to his authority those that do not stand for Christ, but those that submit to his authority. And without this mark, no one will be able to buy or sell. Can you imagine going up here to the Piggly Wiggly or the Dollar General or the WM or the Family Dollar and say, you got a pocket full of money. And you say, well, I just need to get some cereal and milk. I just need a loaf of bread. Heard it might snow. And they say, well, we got to scan your mark. Well, I didn't take it. Sorry. Well, I got a pocket full of money here. It's no good. Imagine that. But I want you to know there's a big difference between the mark of the beast and the mark of the father. All the Antichrist can do is give them a number. All he's got's a number. The number of man, three times, six, 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 six hundred, three score six. What that will look like, we don't absolutely know, but we know it will be the mark of man. That's as far as he can go. All he can do is give a number, but Jesus gives to his followers the name. Oh, let that sink in a minute, church. All the devil can give is a number, but God gives his name. Oh, my goodness. Oh, listen to me. When God selects and seals 144,000, he will select them <coughs> for the same reason that he has selected you in the day of grace. He will select them to serve and carry the gospel in the days of tribulation. As a child of God here in the day of grace, he has called and selected you to serve and carry the gospel. Oh, hear me. We are saved to do that in the day of grace. We can't just look just to the future. We need to let the mirror turn around and look at us and remind us of our mission in the day of grace. But I also read something that really stirred me. I read something from Adrian that really stirred my heart. He said that in the days of tribulation, he believed that the fire and the fervor with which these 144,000 will carry the gospel will be like unleashing 144,000 Apostle Pauls on the earth. Woo! Let me tell you why I believe that. And this, I've never seen this before. I've never noticed this before. And that's why you study the Word of God and you study good men of God because they can help you see stuff you've never seen before. He believed that, and here's what he said. He believed that the Apostle Paul 
was literally the forerunner for this group of 144,000 chosen preachers. And here's the basis. 1 Timothy 1.16 says this. Paul said to Timothy, he said, However, for this reason I obtain mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show all the long-suffering, here's the key word, as a pattern to those who were going to believe on him for everlasting life. You say, well, wait a minute, preacher. Uh, uh, Paul's talking about the church. Let me ask you a question. Is Paul your pattern? Well, if he is, that's, that's the wrong pattern. Paul is not the pattern for the church. He was a great soul winner and apostle, but the pattern for the church is Jesus Christ. Oh, think about it. So who is he talking about? Well, he, much like them, he was a Jewish pagan before he was saved. He hated God until he met Jesus. He ultimately became an evangelist even to hostile nations just as the 144,000 will do. Paul is a pattern more for the 144,000 Jews who will preach the gospel during the Great Tribulation. They will be unbelievers who experience a dramatic and divine encounter with God and they will have their hearts set on fire to reach the world left for Jesus Christ wow you say preach I don't believe that you don't have to it's okay it don't matter I love you we can disagree to disagree but hear me it makes good sense don't it that God would use Paul in his pattern of conversion and evangelistic fervor as one for Jews who would be used in the tribulation time to do what he said. He's not our pattern, Jesus is. But God used his life and testimony as a pattern for those who would follow him. Isn't that good? Wow. So what do we do with it? Now, folks, I want you to know I, I'm not one of those guys that likes to preach to hear myself talk. I don't even like the way I sound. You ever listen to yourself and go, do I sound like that? <sighs> I really don't. And I'm my own worst critic. You'll never be harder on me than I'll be on myself. You'll never expect more out of me realistically than I'll expect out of myself. But what about us? See, as children of God, we need to remember something. Thank God we're still in the day of grace. We have the Holy Spirit of God indwelling us. He lives in every child of God. Wow! Listen here. God is no longer uh, confined to a cube-shaped room where he meets once a year on the Day of Atonement and, and his presence is not signified by the Shekinah glory cloud. No, no. He's not confined to just the body of one man as he was in the God-man Jesus for 33 and a half years. In Acts chapter 2, he descended into that upper room and indwelt believers and he's indwelt every believer since then. Amen? He's indwelling us. And when we suppress our willingness to share the gospel, here's what happens. It grieves the Holy Spirit who lives within us. When I read of how God will raise up 144,000 Jews, and when I read how that their hearts will be on fire preaching during the Great Tribulation, do you know what it does to me in the day of grace? It fires my heart up. It ought to fire your heart up. I hear people say, well, I'm just kind of relaxed. I'm just kind of calm. I don't get fired up about anything. Oh, yes, you do. 
you'll get fired up about what you're passionate about. Your wife goes off down there to Target today and spends $500. I bet somebody gonna get fired up. You know why? Because that's touching your pocketbook. Right? What do you got? Well, I got some nice little things to sit in the window here for Valentine's, and I went ahead and got some Easter because I already got it out. You're going to be fuming, dude. Your husband goes off down there today, and he pulls up in a brand-new side-by-side that he ain't talked to you about. And it's only a mere $15,000, and $20,000, and he says, well, honey, think of all the fun we're going to have. <laughs> You're not thinking about the fun, are you, sweetheart, huh? You're going to be a little passionate. You're going to be a little fired up. See, we get fired up about what matters to us. And I don't know about you, but when I see people lost without God, in danger of spending eternity in a dying in devil's hell, it fires my soul. And I pray that I never get cold and callous to the point where it doesn't fire my soul when I seek a people dying and falling and burning forever and ever and ever in a lake of fire. I pray that I never get to the point that I'm okay with that. I hear people say sometimes when they hear of an evil or vile person that passed away, a person that had a testimony of not being a follower of God and maybe even a hater of God and maybe even abuser of people, maybe a convicted felon criminal that had been convicted of a heinous crime. And here's what people will say. Well, they finally got what was a coming to them. Do you know if it wasn't for Jesus? No, I've never been on death row. I've never been arrested. I've never been put in jail. I've never been in prison. I've never done any of those things that you would think are terrible, but I am just as filthy and wretched of a sinner as the vilest sinner on the face of this planet. It takes just as much grace to save a child as it does a convict. I want you to hear me today. There's none of us that is too good. There's none of us that is worthy. But thank God he has made us accepted in the beloved through his shed blood. Oh, hear me today, it stirs my heart. And I wonder today in our churches, why do we allow the cold water committees of our churches in the presence of casual, comfortable Christianity, why do we allow the sinfulness of our own hearts to cause us to grow cold toward the primary purpose for which the church was established? Remember, as I tell you, my friend Ken Adams says, Jesus started the church the way he wants it. Now he wants it back the way he started it. Friend, I'm afraid today that we have drifted so far from Acts 2 Christianity. We've drifted so far from having the singleness of heart, simplicity of heart, and that single purpose that it should break our hearts. I believe today that as people of God, because we have drifted so far from what Jesus wants, I believe the church ought to be running to and bombarding the altars with our prayers today. I believe we need to repent of our rebellion. I believe we need to resolve together that we will arise together as an army and that we will lock arms and we will lock hearts and we will march together into the fields of harvest so that the souls that are hungry and the souls that are hurting and the souls that are hellbound would know that we can take them to someone who will meet their needs, someone who will take care of them for eternity and someone who will be their Savior and their Lord.
Church, hear me. When we look into the days of tribulation, it should be heartbreaking of thinking all the things that will be going on in the world. But thank God that the sovereign God of the universe has not left without a plan. He's going to raise up people. There's going to be an awesome work. But listen to me. There's an awesome work to be done right now. You know what's holding us back? I'll tell you what it is. One is the sin Most Christians today are too proud. We want to maintain our personas. We want to maintain our standing as if we have one. When what God has called us to do is surrender. I can remember when I was a young pastor. I was pastoring Waco Baptist Church in 1998-05, so this was in the late 90s, early 2000s. And I had a weekly thing every week, WBTR 92.1 FM, Carrollton, Georgia, a little 30-minute radio spot. We would take the tapes down. We cassette tapes, kids. We took them to the place. We did not drop box them. We did not airdrop them. We literally physically took the tape into the radio station, gave it to a live DJ. He put it into a tape frame play on Sunday morning. And I'll never forget, he said, well, we want to do an intro, Pastor. He said, uh, what do you, we can use a song or whatever, some background music. You know what I could think about? I was this little old insignificant preacher in his late 20s, and now I'm a, Little low, well, I'm a large, significant, insignificant preacher. I was insignificant then. I still am. That's okay. That was in my late 20s. Now I'm in my early 50s. Y'all can barely tell it. But uh, here's the deal. I said, well, I can't think about anything but reaching the world. So I called the radio program the Reaching the World radio broadcast. 34 Atlantic Avenue, Waco, Georgia. Nobody really knew where. In the background music, Winston, you're like this. Had the old boys in the back, the bishop saying, Go reach the world. Y'all remember that? Touch one more soul. Bring one more lamb into the fold. It's time to reap the harvest the Father has sown. Go reach the world. And I want to tell you something. Even though I got a lot of miles on me since then, and even though I'm a lot older than I was then, can I tell you one thing that has never changed? Is I want to reach people with the gospel. And I want you to say, you know why? Because our Father is holding us accountable for the purpose for which he has called us. Pray with me. Father, in Jesus' name, I just want to thank you for your word today, Lord. God, I thank you for how my heart is stirred over the things that are going on in our world today and that which is to come. Father, I just want to thank you for 
giving us the great commission sealing us to the day of redemption and signing us up for your kingdom's work Lord as we look into those days that are to come they ought to stir us in the day that we live and God right here in this room there are many needs there are people who need to come today and give their life to you people lost in their sin trying to make it their own way trying to figure it out and God today may the Holy Ghost make it clear to them that it's only made through surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ Others, Father, coming today, Father, follow you in believer's baptism. I know there's needs for that. Christians who've been saved need to follow you in believer's baptism. Others, Father, who of your children may believe this place you'd have them to serve you. And God, we pray that you would lead them to follow you. But most of all, Father, would you give us one heartbeat, one unified purpose. We've come together as one to touch the world as one because we have been indwelt with the high and holy one. Father, whatever decisions need to be made here today, I pray, God, that you would help each person to make the ones they need to make. God, that you would be glorified in Christ's name. Amen and amen. Let's stand together all across the house this morning. Marty's going to come lead us, and as he does, hear me as God speaks to your heart. Would you do what God is leading you to do today? I'll be here to help you, Marty, when you're ready. Let's make us our prayer this morning. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. today do that one core I mean that one verse and the reason I don't ask you to do this is that very first verse of have thy own way this is an old song but it's a really really good one. it reminds us of our need to submit and for whatever reason if there's any lack of submission 
would you just sing this from your heart to the Lord? Because listen to me. Whether you let him or not, he's going to have his way. I had a man tell me the other day, he said, this world's in such a mess, Jesus Christ himself couldn't, couldn't straighten it out. I said, oh yeah, he is. He's going to. I pray he straighten you out before he straightens that out. Amen. Let's sing it one time without music. Sing it from your heart, church. Have a hand of praise this morning church let them know you love it. amen thank you you can be seated uh, you can be seated as they're coming this way to receive our morning tithes and offerings I want to encourage you as always to be faithful um, very important church that we do so because without the faithfulness of God's people we lose his blessing <laughs> we need his blessing on what we're doing you believe that can't do it apart from it and we're just praying as we give today that he would take it and multiply it because I believe God is calling us to far greater and it's going to take a far greater level of surrender and submission to his lordship. And I want to tell you, one of the greatest obstacles Christians face is being submitted in the area of stewardship and giving and being a faithful giver and believing that the tithe is holy unto the Lord. Don't let that be a stumbling block to you because I want you to know you'll, you'll go much further on your faithfulness to God and his blessing then you will on everything you can do without his blessing amen so as we give today let's join our hearts together and let's ask God's blessings on our giving gentlemen
trained him well. He don't leave the balcony and somebody starts giving. Does he? <laughs> I told him, I said, stand there, brother. Don't go or any of them. We're cutting up. But hey, uh, real quick, before we get out of here today, uh, please do remember the announcements today. Now, choir's going to practice not today, but Wednesday right after prayer meeting at roughly 7. If you're interested in being part of choir ministry, we'd love to have you, man. It'd be a great thing. We had several of our choir members are on the youth retreat, and of course, all 40 of our students, so we'll get everybody back. Uh, deacons, we meet at 4 today, but I just noticed, I noticed I looked at my buddies Fish and Berkeley, they just had a small minor hiccup that kept them from going on the youth trip, that little championship celebration, you know. I had a funeral yesterday, guys, and wasn't able to make that. I'd love to have done that, but proud of guy, a little state championship, Red Devils. I mean, the devil's got to win a championship. I'm glad it's Burton Fish, amen. But I love them boys, and I just was thinking about that and excited for y'all, man. That's exciting stuff. I could go back to those days and get my 18-year-old body back. I'd try it. If I had to carry this body back, I'd be back quick. What would we would be back in a hurry, boy. But anyhow, I'm glad you're here today. Hope you've had a good day of worship. Welcome you at 6 on Wednesdays. Uh, Children, students, and adults, everybody at 6 on Wednesday, and so do remember that. Our next fellowship meal on Wednesday will be February 1. That's the first uh, the Sunday in February, I mean Wednesday in February. But let me leave you with this today. You know I'm a great, uh, I love the, uh, great lover of the ministry of Jim Simbola. He's taught me so much about prayer. But I've been reading his new book, Fan the Flame, and I mentioned this a few weeks ago, and God called me back to it and said, you need to say that again. And this is why I need your prayers, okay? I need your prayers bad because, I, I mean, I'm just like you. I'm human, and I need God to help me stay focused and God help me to, uh, you know, weed out the, the urgent for what's really important. And, and here's what he said about leadership in his book, Fan the Flame. He said, we should bear in mind that the spiritual condition of any church greatly depends on the leadership it gets from its pastor. It's difficult for a congregation to rise higher in spiritual and spiritual growth and maturity than its shepherd. If the pastor is lukewarm about the things of God and the Spirit, what hope is there for a congregation to be on fire? And this is something I pray, you know, I, I don't know if y'all know my heart, but I, 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 I detest lukewarmness in myself because I believe God detests it in the church. But something I said to our youth leaders a while back, and they were talking about the kids and stuff getting ready for I told this one as a parent, I said, I want you to know this. I want you to have confidence that every week when you bring your family to this church and your young people and your sons and daughters sit here, that they are not going to sit in front of somebody that did not plan for them to be here and that did not get with God before he got to them. And I said, and I want you to know I make you that commitment that my heart, as much as lies within me and as much as the Spirit of God would move upon me, that I'd never get lukewarm, but I'd stay burning white hot. Amen? And the, and the light that shines the furthest always shines the brightest at home, and it needs to be the hottest at home. Amen? So just know that, and just know that my heart beats every week to be... Old Steve Parr used to tell me about the 1% group. So we need to get 1% better today than we were yesterday. And everything's about getting 1% better. And for me, it's just 1% more surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ because you matter to God. Don't you know that? You matter to me. And you know I love you. And there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. Amen? Hey, let's stand to our feet. Marty's going to sing us out. And I'll meet you out front.